So Bhagavad says, real beauty is to know your position and act accordingly. And that will call your progress. One person may be a tyagi, a renunciate, a nirapiksha, vaishnav. Another person may be a sanishta, bhakta, who has material desires. Characteristically, it's described, sanishta bhakta is one who wants to go to heaven on the way to Goloka. <laughs> we may think, I don't want to go to heaven, but we want all kind of heavenly things, actually. Most of us, we have those desires. So we may be bhakta, but sanishta bhakta. But if that sanishta bhakta does what he's supposed to do in that position, he's as glorious as the nirapiksha, Vaishnav. He'll call his own progress as much as that nirapiksha Vaishnav, renounced Vaishnav, will call progress. So knowing our position and acting accordingly, so this is important. And knowing our position in relation to the whole scheme, the whole development of bhakti. In other words, we want to know where we're supposed to go, how to get there, and the highest thing will not be purchased for little, as I said. We want the whole thing. We only want to give a little bit of ourselves for that. What is really to be sacrificed, in the beginning, the sanishta bhakta, he'll be encouraged to give something from his or her pursuit of those things that he or she wants, the effort to acquire that, uh, something from the fruit of that should be offered for the propagation of this dharma. In time, we'll realize what's really being offered, asked, is that you be offered yourself on the altar. Put yourself there, not just something that's in your pocket. We can start with that. And if under good guidance, we follow this type of approach and cultivating at the same time, in accordance with our intellectual capacity, the theory, the theoretical knowledge, then we can go step by step and make progress, be psychologically balanced and spiritually progressive. This was very much the emphasis of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, through whom, of course, this whole tradition, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, has come to the modern world. So Mamaka, he was attached. We all have material attachments. And as I say, this is not a sectarian message. This isn't for any particular religious group. This is for everybody. And within Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it doesn't matter what group you're in also. There are groups within groups within groups. This is for everybody. Assess the reality of your minus, minus, mamaka. We are a unit of consciousness, but we are attached to the body. The self has a capacity to extend itself. So, for example, we are extended throughout the whole body, just like the sun has a capacity to extend itself through its rays and pervade the whole world. So we as a unit of consciousness have a capacity to extend ourselves throughout the body and beyond the body as well. So we say, my house, my car. If it's my house and it burns down, it's a problem. If I sold a house yesterday to somebody else and I couldn't wait to get out of it and it burns down, and I, I don't feel the same way at all. Why do I feel that it's a problem when I'm living? Because it's my house. So I've extended myself, sense of self, into the house, into the car, into the family and society, whatever it is that I think is mine. 
what's really important in all this is me. In other words, why that house is important, because I've extended myself into it. I've projected myself into it. Therefore, it's important. So what's important in the house? No, it's me. I project myself into the car, so I call it my car. If it gets in an accident, it's a problem. I feel hurt. I have to do something about it. I have to call my friend and be concerned. Cars are bumping into cars all over the place in San Francisco. And you don't think twice about it. It doesn't get in the paper. There was an accident here, an accident there. I mean, the big ones come, but, you know, if you get your fender bent, they don't have a page in the Chronicle. This fender was bent on this corner. That headlight was put out on that corner. But when it happens to you, it's noteworthy. It's, it's news. It's a problem. Because it's your car. It means it's you. So what's important is you. The self is important to us. That's a lesson we should learn. The self is important. When we project ourselves into something else, when we superimpose ourself onto material objects and we come up with a material identity, then whenever that sense of self is in crisis, it's a problem for me. What we should learn is that I'm important. The consciousness is important. The soul is important. The self is important. We should turn now focus inward to understand the nature of self. And when we come to the extent that we do that, this minus then, this mine disappears. When we move from sanishta bhakta to parnishta bhakta, for example. Sanishta bhakta means I've got things I want. I want to be a devotee, but I want to be happy. Also, is that much to ask? <laughs> No, so then you have to pursue that, just like everybody else who wants to be happy materially. They have to put a lot of energy into it. You should try to be the best that you can be in the particular field that you're in, that you're interested in, and be a devotee at the same time. And in the course of pursuing that, as I say, some fruits that you acquire should be offered in sacrifice for the propagation of dharma. As you do that, for example, what's dear to us in the sanishta condition is our money. Let's say you come to the ashram and you listen. You may come, you may listen. It may be interesting, you may get something out of it. If you give money to it, oh, then you're going to be really concerned about what goes on there. <laughs> Your consciousness will go there. What are they doing with my money there? How is it being spent? <laughs> so we are concerned about ourselves in a material sense, yet we want to be a devotee. That's a real position. But to move from there, Parnishta means concerned about the welfare of others. So sometimes we meet people that are concerned about the welfare of others. There may be people who even question the validity of, of a teaching that uh, speaks about transcending material existence altogether and being preoccupied in meditation and so forth when there are so many problems in the world and their people are suffering and so forth. So when a person gets a bit of a compassionate heart, He's moving beyond his smaller sense of self to a bigger sense. We're, we're all humans. We're all the same, well, we're all on the same planet. We should care about others. What about the environment? And of course, if he's also a devotee, he got shraddha, he got good sangha with the sadhus, he knows, oh, the whole thing is temporary, but still I'm here and should try to make it better, and so he may be involved, parinishta, with some helping others, concern for that. 
is a bigger person than just Sonish. Now, of course, these categories are much in between gray and so forth, but from Parinishta to Nirapiksha. And ultimately, Nirapiksha, he's so absorbed in this ideal that he can't spend any time in anything else, making a permanent solution. He's absorbed himself in the practice, meditation, and culture, and so forth. And if he does anything in relation to others, it's to help them to get involved only. Only that. We're dealing with different degrees of minus when we get to the Nirapiksha, this kind of devotee. He is free from the general sense of minus, that it's mine. He's detached. Ayati, a tyagi, and a devotee, a monk, for example. And free from the material sense of minus, because he's in a devotional school, he's cultivating a minus of another type, that Krishna's mind. Minus is the problem and minus is the solution. Krishna's mind. This is the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Every cowherd in Golok thinks, Krishna's mine. Every coward thinks, I'm his best friend. Every one of them thinks, I am the best friend. Of all of Krishna's friends, he likes me the most. Every one of them feels like that. And every one of them is right. And every gopi thinks he's mine, but I'm not sure. Just like in any... this is, We can understand from the nature of our material relationships, these things. In a conjugal relationship, there's a strong sense that she's mine or he's mine, but there's always a doubt. Did I say the wrong thing? Is he going to go out the door? Is she mad at me now? I thought I had her, but now... So every gopi feels it but wonders. So anyway, this kind of minus, that is a very high thing. We want to cultivate that, but the direct cultivation of that will only be possible, proportionate to the extent that we've become free from that other sense of minus based on bodily conception of life. So Dhritarashtra is suffering from that. Such a learned person he was. He was, as I said, the son of Vyas. You cannot find a more learned father than Vyas. But all of his knowledge, he knew that Krishna was God. By the force of his material attachments, he put it down, put it aside, and was instrumental in this whole battle, war, battle of Kurukshetra. Of course, Bhagavad Gita is misunderstood by many people who think it's about fighting and uh, and they wonder how the fighting can be justified and so forth. But it's, it's not about killing people. It's about killing our material attachments through knowledge and devotion. That's what it's about. And the fact of the matter is, if you don't do that, you will be a violent person, no matter how nonviolently you think you're living. So Bhagavad Gita is about nonviolence to the extreme. The wonderful thing about this type of literature is, as I said, it looks just the opposite here. Like in Gopi Lila, we've explained, it looks like the most selfish thing. They're running out on their husbands, bringing potential shame to the whole village, the whole dynasty. They're doing it anyway because of attachment to Krishna. It looks very selfish, but if we look inside that, what is the theology, we find, oh, it's selflessness to the extreme taking such a form, it's service and sacrifice, giving of oneself to the extreme, then it takes that shape such that the giving nature of it is camouflaged to some extent, that not just anybody can get in there. It's a secret thing, very high realm. 
the whole of Golok looks like the opposite of what we teach. We teach detachment, and Golok looks like a bunch of people attached to their home, to their family, to their houses, their cows. So service, bhakti, bhakti has uh, different um, expressions. But we should know this without a doubt. What we see in Gopi Lila, for example, Krishna Lila with the Gopis, inside of that is selflessness to the extreme. So we have to start with this. This is what it's all about. You can collect all the information you want about Krishna Lila, and it's a beautiful literature and very uh, attractive to read. But we can deceive ourselves in thinking we've gone somewhere just by collecting information. The real test is to what extent are we becoming attached? Not that we've just got some new religious doctrine or jargon and we can regurgitate it and sound like we know something more than somebody else that hasn't heard the information. And We should try to avoid all these kind of traps. Most people, the majority of people that come to this kind of tradition, even in over years, need to deal with very basic issues. They should be educated theoretically in so many things, it's true, especially if they have the capacity, if they have a good teacher who can educate them. But he should see to it that they thoroughly understand progress in that direction to such a high thing as Braj Bhakti, for example, which Bhagavad Gita alludes to. Progress in that direction will be determined practically when we look to see in detachment, in the happiness that comes from that. There's a story of one guru had a disciple, taught him many things, and then went traveling for many years. Came back and found that disciple who was previously living just simply along the bank of the river, hearing the message from his Guru Dave. Somehow, when his Guru had gone in his absence over years, he got distracted. Oh, he complicated his life. He got a partner, he had children, he had a cow, and so many things developed. So when his guru came back after many years, I said, come, sit by the river. I'll tell you what I learned in my travels. He said, oh, Guru Dave, I want to come, but you just came at the wrong night. I've got cow to milk, and I've got a baby to feed, and I've got, my wife is sick, and I've got to do this, and so many things are calling on me. So many things are, are holding me back that I can't come. It's such a unfortunate that you would have come tonight. Not that tomorrow would have been better. Actually, I have all the things to do. That. So Gurudev said, that's all right. There's no problem. So many things are holding you back. Anyway, I will go and bathe in the river. So he bathed in the river and then shortly afterwards the disciple is at his house and he hears, help! 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 The disciple comes in. There's Gurudev holding on to a, a branch of a tree that's floating in the river and, it's, and he's holding it and it's about to take him down the river. He's holding it, holding it. Help, help! The disciple says, Gurudev, what's the matter? This tree is holding me. It's taking me down the river. The disciple says, well, Gurudev, let go. The tree's not holding you. You're holding the tree. So yes, I think you've learned very nicely. We're holding on. Things aren't holding us. We don't place the blame anywhere else. Attachment lies within our own heart. So this we should look to see. Knowledge will be helpful. Applying that knowledge in devotional practices, of course, all these things will help us. To the extent that they are helping us, 
this is the measuring point for a long time, how much detachment is coming. Then we will look how much attachment is coming on the other side. It may go on, it will go on simultaneously, but before the attachment on one side, Krishna starts to develop and become really the greater balance, then we should look on the other side for detachment to show up. So here, this attachment is brought out in the word mamaka. Mamaka pandavas chaiva kimakubhata sanjaya. Now something else here, important. Pandu's eldest son, Yudhisthir, was blind. He was not chosen to replace his elder brother, Maharaj Pandu, after Maharaj Pandu died. It is said that the father is born again as his son. Accordingly, Dhritarashtra desired that his son, Duryodhan, assume the throne rather than the eldest son of Pandu. One meaning of the name Dhritarashtra is he by whom the kingdom is held. Hold on to the king, almost to steal, it means. His attachment to his son fueled his son Duryodhan's enmity towards the Pandavas by which Duryodhan lived up to his infamous name. Duryodhan means dirty fighter. These names, of course, are given according to astrological calculations. So some people have bad names, but it's in their chart. <laughs> so they were named accordingly. In this verse, the fire of Duryodhan's enmity is about to burst into the blaze of a full-scale war. Dhritarashtra, aware of his own part in the fracas, yet too attached to stop his son, is anxious to know what is happening as the armies assemble. Vyas blessed his disciple Sanjaya that even though not personally present on the battlefield, he would mystically know every nuance of the war, including the minds of those involved. At Vyasa's request, Sanjay, whose name indicates that he was all sung victorious, Jaya, and thus the master of his own mind and senses, agreed to narrate the events to the blind and aging Dhritarashtra from within the palace compound. So, Dhritarashtra is asking a question that seems redundant. We should get to that. But first, he's asking Sanjay. So we're also taught here in the first verse that the problem of minus that we're suffering from can be solved by approaching the right person by inquiring. Sanjay. Sanjay means, as I said, all victorious. So one who is all victorious means one who is conquered over the mind and senses. What does Rupa Goswami say? Vacho vegam manasakrodha vegam jiva vegam udara pashta vegam etan vegan yovasahetadira sarvam apimam pritivim sasishyat. Sarvam apimam pritivim. He becomes, who controls the senses, the king of the world. Sarvam apimam pritivim means earth, king of the earth. Sashishat, and everyone becomes his disciple. Whether they recognize it or not, it doesn't matter. The lords of the world are the senses and the mind. So who has conquered them? He's all victorious. Such a person should be approached. Sukadev Gosami is described like this. If we explain something that we realized and understood, that will have great impact on the listeners. If I'm speaking to you about detachment, but I'm attached to many things, then you can listen for a long time, but it won't have much effect on your heart. We know ourselves that if we believe in something, we experience something, we can speak about it with greater force, even materially. If we've been there and saw that, to tell someone about it, even if we can't explain it, if we've been to a movie that was just 
so good. Even if we, we cannot explain it in words to our friends, just the fact that we've experienced and we try to communicate that will be compelling, more compelling than the review that we can read in the in the paper. So this kind of person we should have connection with. Now the redundancy here is is an important point. In other words, he's asked Sanjay, a fit person, a qualified person, blessed by his Guru Vyas, on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, which is Dharmakshetra, my sons and the sons of Pandu have assembled to fight. What did they do? Well, they assembled to fight. What did they do? They fought, would be the obvious. Why question? They're there. They're assembled to fight. What did they do? So why is he asking, what did they do? Because of one word in this shlok. What is that word? We'll discuss it. Dharmakshetra. Knowing well that Dharma was on the side of the Pandavas, Dhritarashtra refers to the battlefield in terms of its sacred heritage. The earliest references to the sacredness of Kurukshetra are found in the Jabal Upanishad and Shatapatlashuti. According to Srimad Bhagavatam, Abhutar Parashuram performed sacrifices at Kurukshetra. Its sacredness brought Krishna's father, Vasudeva, there during the solar eclipse. Vasudeva also performed sacrifice in Kurukshetra on that occasion. As we shall see, the extent of its sacredness exceeds even these well-known histories. So the idea is here that they assembled to fight, but what did they do? There's a question of whether they will fight or not. And what the outcome will be is unpredictable, because Kurukshetra is also Dharmakshetra. So sacred places have an influence. And we should try to make our place sacred, our place of living, to whatever extent we can. The lesson, of course, one of the lessons here is that we should know the value, the influence of a place. And certain places we should avoid. They will not be in our interest. And certain places we should gravitate towards. I just came from the holiest of places, Vrindavan. But unfortunately, it's also one of the most unholy places. That should not deter us entirely from going to holy places, but it should help us to understand what the essence of a holy place is. The essence of a holy place is the holy people who live there. Therefore, it's said even to go to a holy place without hearing from saintly persons who reside there is more or less to have wasted your time. Narottam Thakur has said, that visiting holy places is just a bewilderment to the mind. Means He means if you don't take advantage of saintly persons who live there and hear from them, dharmasya tattvam nihitam guhayam. The truth of dharma is hidden in the hearts of saintly persons. We have to try to bring it out. Position ourselves in such a way as to draw sympathy from them, that it will come out. Therefore, when vidura wanted to go on pilgrimage, what did Yudhisthira say to him? Yudhisthira told him, what is the use of your going on pilgrimage to holy places? You verily are a place of pilgrimage because you carry in your heart the Lord wherever you go. Holy places foster unholiness, unfortunately, as much as they foster holiness sometimes. Because people who are born in those places, involved in those places, by circumstance, for example, of birth is a good example, they become accustomed to the place, they become proud. I'm born in a holy place. 
you can find in Vrindavan so many people. I once went on a pilgrimage to Radhakund, sacred lake of Radha in the Braj. And so with some friends to discuss there and so forth. And we were uh, attacked, harassed by so many people who were claiming themselves to be residents there. Because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, and uh, the Goswamis taught, that you should go to Vrindavan and take shelter of the people who live there. So they said, if you want to visit Radhakund, first you must touch my feet. Some dirty fellow is telling me, you touch my feet and give some money. And this is the teaching. I said, the teaching is Trinado Pisunichena, to be more humble than a blade of grass. That is the teaching I heard. Did you hear that teaching? No, 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 no. I am a bridge bussy. I am bridge bussy. You want to touch my feet. You get some donation, then you can come. So my disciple Gurdas was there. So I said, oh, you know, he is bridge bussy. I will touch his feet. <laughs> so I touched his feet and we went on, much to their dismay. <laughs> But, as I say, these, uh, the knowledge that is there and the piety of the place can be abused. So holy places can be bewildering to us. Present-day Vrindavan is a good example of it. But if we know the essence of those holy places, saintly persons, and we go and seek them out, somehow to find them, hear from them, then we can really take advantage. So holy place, sacred place, Dharma Kshetra, Guru Kshetra was a holy place for various reasons. It was known to Dhritarashtra, but the extent of its sacredness, that is a very secret thing. It is known, and as I mentioned here, and it mentioned in Bhagavad, it was known to everyone that Vasudev, Krishna's father, came there to perform sacrifices at Kurukshetra. But what went on at that time in the bushes, not everybody knows about that. Now, this is your homework for the next class. I want you all to read Srimad Bhagavatam, 10th Canto, Chapter 44. Or you can read it in Prabhupada's edition of Krishna book where he gives a summary study of the 10th canto. I think Prabhupada entitled it, Vasudev performs sacrifices at Kurukshetra. You read that chapter. And read 13th chapter, Madhilila Chaitanitritamrita, about Ratiyatra. In this verse, Tritarastra's voice is filled with doubt. He realized there is little hope that his sons would prevail. Perhaps he thought the piety of the Pandavas combined with the influence of Kurukshetra will cause the Pandavas to walk away from the battle, giving victory to Duryodhan by default. However, the Pandavas were more than pious. They were intimate devotees of Krishna and thus transcendentalists of the highest order. Moreover, Kurukshetra was far more sacred than Dhritarashtra realized. Its sanctity is brought out in the, by the devotional mystics of the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition in their commentaries on Srimad Bhagavatam. Jiva Goswami details the chronology of events leading to Krishna's first coming to Kurukshetra. In his treatise on the Bhagavatam, Krishna Sandarbha, part of Satsandarbha. At the age of 50, Krishna came to Kurukshetra with his royal entourage from Dwaraka. The secret purpose of his pilgrimage was to meet the villagers, and in particular the cowherd girls, gopis, of Braja, the rural setting of his youth. He wanted to assure the Vraj devotees that he loved them, and that although he was living outside of Braj in high society, he was thinking of them constantly. After Krishna had killed the evil king Kangsa, he feared that those who sought to avenge his death would cause havoc in Braj, whose residents were unequipped to deal with a military invasion. As Krishna established Dharma throughout the land, he did so with his Braj devotees in mind, in separation from him for over 
100 years with only one brief and somewhat awkward meeting at Kurukshetra, his devotees of Braj never swayed in their love for him. Separation made their hearts grow fonder in the same way that it made Krishna's heart grow fonder for them. Now, more than 50 years after his brief meeting with them at Kurukshetra, Krishna was once again setting foot in this holy place and he was reminded of his previous meeting here with the gopis. How could he not be? Krishna left Vrindavan when he was about 11. Krishna's mature for his age. So when he's 10 and 11, he's like he's 15 or 16. So he's Kishore Krishna is thought of as 15 years and some months. But actually he's a little younger. On he went to Dwarka and 40 years later, meeting at Kurukshetra. Briefly, now again is at the end, this is the end of his Leela, Kurukshetra War, right near the end. He's again coming to Kurukshetra. Why he left, why he's at Kurukshetra, why he did all those military outings and killed so many demons to protect the inhabitants of Vrindavan. They were being harassed. Kamsa was sending so many demons there. Their life was inhibited. He went to kill Kamsa and then one thing led to another. Jarasandha, his daughters were married to Kamsa. Kamsa was killed. They were left without a husband. He was angry. He attacked Krishna. Krishna moved the whole group to Dwarka. If they had come into Braj, then oh, there, there's no military forces. They're all cow people. So to protect them and moreover to show the measure of their love. He stayed away for so many years and their love only increased and increased and increased. He met them at Kurukshetra when Vasudev went to perform sacrifices after the killing of Kangsa. Previously, he sent a message to them. Previous to that, a message through Uddhava, most learned in his group outside of Vrindavan. Oh, he reasoned with them. He spoke philosophy to them to pacify them. They could not hear that. They had no interest in Gyan, the knowledge of the difference between the body and the soul and the all-pervasive nature of Vishnu. He's everywhere. Why are you crying? But as Uddhava looked and saw the tears, the extent of them, that they couldn't even sew together a flower garland, practically. The tears were making it impossible to do just ordinary tasks. He could understand that the love of these inhabitants of Vrindavan and the gopis in particular was extraordinary. It made spiritual knowledge that he came to offer them, to solace them with small in comparison. Now after that, Krishna is again at Kurukshetra, not at this Bhagavad Gita time, but the first time, coming with his father to perform sacrifices, riding on an elephant, surrounded by a royal entourage and so forth. And the village people from Vrindavan are also there. Krishna's mother comes forward and father. Yashoda, foster father and mother, it may be thought. Yashoda Nanda Maharaj and Krishna is with Devaki and Rohini. But seeing the love of Yashoda, Devaki practically admits he's your son. Whoever loves him the most, that's his real mother. The love you have is so extraordinary. And I can see in him a kind of love for you that I can't, I don't see in him for me. We're talking, of course, of a gradation of spirituality. We're a gradation of selflessness. After selflessness, In general, giving rid of that minus, then Mamaka, then gradations of that all the way up to Dwarka and Mathura and Vrindavan and Gopis. This is Mahabhagavata. Mahabhagavata means 
different kinds of Mahabhagavata. Beginning, middle, end. In one sense, they are all gradations of prem. The Uttam Mahabhagavata like gopis, Kamanugas. And beneath that we have Sambandhanuga and other types as well. Bhaidibhakta prem. So when Devaki could see the measure of the love of Jashoda, she admitted, oh, he's actually your son. By the law of affection, we can understand Krishna is actually the son of Jashoda and Nanda Maharaj. And while that talking is going on, Krishna is sitting in the lap of Mother Jashoda, still greater selflessness is calling him. This is what attracts Krishna, greater selflessness. That of the gopis in the bushes, and Balaram notices it. So he gets up and excuses himself. He finds an excuse. Baldev is servant of Krishna. He's God, but he positions himself as servant. He's elder brother. In that sense, he's worshipable like Krishna, but he takes it upon himself to take care and serve, protect Krishna always. So when he sees the fever of Krishna's love for gopis, so close to them now, they're just around the corner. Just like, remember when I was a young boy, my father and mother would sometimes take us on camping trips with another family or something like that. And cousins or go camping and then they'd be sitting around with the parents but the kids would always be kind of looking for that chance to get out behind the trailer and into the woods and play and do things free from the encumbrance of parental guidance <laughs> and uh, insights so Krishna's thinking like that and Balaram can sense it and Balaram is not going to be present with Krishna when he's with the gopis hmm? His nature, his relationship is different. So he excuses himself, distracts the parental sector, which he's part of. He's part of the parental sector. He's Krishna's friend, but he's also, his friendship is mixed with some parental love. That's why Jasoda will never let him go as much as possible, except on his birthday. She will not let Baldev leave the house without instructing him, take care of Krishna. Every morning, Krishna's going cow herding. Every morning, again and again, without fail, Mother Yashoda gives a lecture to Balaram. Watch him, protect him in every way. So he has some parental affection as well. With the, he distracts the parental sector. See, this is also the nature of his friendly love, favorable also to conjugal love. This Vatsalya Bhakti is in conflict with Madhurja. Mother Jasoda wants Krishna to take a good night's rest. But gopis want him to come out at night. So there's conflict. So you cannot get away from conflict. Conflict is not a bad thing. It's like the conflict in Bhagavad Gita. Krishna's asking Arjun to enter the conflict with desire. Fight there. And transcend his minus and so forth. And when we go to the other side, there's conflict there. But the conflict has its proper application. Therefore, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasitaka used to say that religion means only proper adjustment. That's all. This is Braj. This is the meaning of Braj given by Jiva Goswami and Gopal Champu. A unique meaning. He says that place in which all things possible. Kama. The all-devouring enemy of the world Krishna teaches in Bhagavad Gita has its application in Golok. It's inconceivable. In Parakya. Inconceivable to us. This is the idea of Krishna. And Braj, all things possible, all things harmonized, all things with a proper application, properly centered, anything is possible. We reject nothing. All things possible and appropriate, all things appropriate when properly centered. Even conflict, 
Gopis want to pull him out at night, and uh, mothers are the one to keep him in at night. Balaram has some parental affection, but he more has friendly affection, Sakya. That Sakya is very favorable to Madhurya. So he's here helping to make an arrangement for it to be possible. Distracts the parents that Krishna can go into the bushes and meet with the gopis. And there he meets them. There he embraces them. And he laughs. He makes some joke. Why? To make light of what he's done. At least on the surface. He's gone away. They had Ras Lila, consummated their relationship, unbeknownst to anyone else, of course, except a few of Krishna's confidential friends. But it took place. He acknowledged their love for him, and he acknowledged his love for them, and then he went away. And now it's 40 years later. So he's making light, huh? so that he can minimize. But gopis are not taking it so lightly. So when they don't just smile back, this is, of course, just loving exchanges between Krishna and gopis. Krishna then speaks philosophy. He starts speaking about the nature of the nature of the world is such that the supreme God deals with people just like the wind. It assembles clouds and disassembles them, brings things together and then separates them. The separation that you have experienced from me and I from you is beyond us both. It's in the hands of God. So he's saying, I'm not to blame. Let's be philosophical about it and solve the problem, the problem of your being a little angry with me for having left. He says, actually, I left because there were some problems that I had to deal with, and they were not divorced entirely from you and everybody in Brudge, but, you know, sometimes these things happen. And besides that, as I say, besides that, this is providence, the hand of fate, how God works, brings people together and separates them, so we should get used to that. Now, gopis, they're just simple village girls. So you would think they'd go along with this. But they didn't go along with it at all. Because they're not just simple village girls as they appear to be. They're great mystics, yogis, yatis, nirapiksha, vaishnavs, shudabhaktas, primabhaktas. That gopi love is such, as I said, a high thing. So high. From beginning point, Sanishtu Bhakti, all the way to Prem Bhakti, that Braj Prem, such a distance to move, to go. We should hold it above our head. Pujala Raga Patavaurabhangi. Bhakti Saddam Sarsitaki should say, keep this ideal high above your head. His message was this. Don't try to see God. Act in such a way that God will want to see you. That makes sense. If we understand what that ideal is, Braj Bhakti, do you think we can barge in there very easily? Just by collecting some information from the book. Not that we shouldn't know the theory. We should read between the lines. Not even between the lines. Don't ignore the philosophy that goes along with it. How to get there. Such a high thing. Still very attractive. So although it's impossible, practically, beyond our reach, we cannot give up the pursuit. I've said before, they are simple village girls. But when they come to this world, like Jiva Gosami, Sanatana Gosami, when Rupa Manjari comes as Rupa Gosami, this world, they have so much knowledge, don't they? They're teaching us about all these things. They're trying to teach us how high that is. Because if we can understand how high that is and how worshipable that is, we have scope for going there. To the extent that our sense of its worshipable nature is diminished, 
by hearing about it in the wrong way or misconstruing it, our scope for going there is diminished also. We should hear from a proper person, and a proper person will know who to say it to also. Yes, we should hear about these topics. And yes, we shouldn't hear about these topics also. Both things. And the resolution is, not only that we hear about them from the right person, yes, that's part of the right, we have to hear about them from the right person. But furthermore, if it's the right person, he will know who to say it to, and who not. And we found in our particular line from Thakur Bhaktivinoda and Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, my Guru Maharaj, Bhaktivinoda Maharaj Goswami, we're following in this line, that had some sense. It's all about taste, tastefully, how to explain, who to give to, who to talk to about it, to what extent. The resolution is we should hear about it, all of us, at least to know about it theoretically, understand it, and tastefully hear something of Krishna Leela and focus and put emphasis on where we are so that we can actually go there. My Guru Maharaj used to like to respond like this to many questions about higher topics of Krishna Leela. He used to say, well, why don't you go there and find out? And Sridhar Maharaj used to say, I'm not just an information bureau here. That's not what I am. Just check in and get some information. What is the value of that? You can go to any travel agency and you can get so many brochures about India, what it's like, and the temples, and the camel, and the cows in the street, and Himalayas to Kanyakumari in the south, and so many things. But how much do you know about India? However much information you get from the website, from the travel agency, however many brochures you fill your place up with, it won't give you dysentery. <laughs> you will never get that from reading a brochure. And you cannot go to India without getting dysentery. <laughs> you have to go there. And that means you have to pay for a ticket. So there's some work to do. Even before getting on the plane, you have to raise money. And you have to do work. Then you have to take the long plane flight there and get off if you've never been there and wonder, where am I? Where the taxi? Where to go? And So we should hear about Brajapakti, yes, from a proper person. But a proper person will know how to explain it and how to emphasize in his preaching such that we don't end up just becoming information collectors and think we've gone somewhere. And we don't suddenly now, as a sannishtabhakta, mount the pulpit and uh, just uh, become the tyrant who's going to teach everybody that they should be doing something higher because he can repeat something from a book. Oh, it's, it's not good. Krishna went, he's talking with them in the bushes. He tries to tell them, anyway, what can we done? God is separating people and bringing people together. It's not my fault. But those gopis are not just dumb village girls like they look. They know all philosophy. So what do they say? Well, that's very nice, but you're God. <laughs> you can't fool us. God is separating everyone, but you're God. So, now what? Checkmate. Hmm? And he admits it. He bends down. He says, he says, you're right. Actually, I'm God. I admit it. And people approach me for eternal life. And I give it easily, really, in comparison to what you're getting 
And then what you're getting is my heart right now. And I bend down, Rod, and I touch your feet. Matsneha, the love with which you've approached me is so different from what other people approach me, how they approach me, and what they want from me. But I have to give everything to you. I bow down to you for the second time. I did it in the night of the Rasulila, and I'm doing it now. Wherever I am, my heart is with you. Stolen, taken completely. The way that you've approached me, that kind of love is so, with such intensity, with such selflessness, I'm purchased by that. I surrender to that love. I worship that. Krishna surrenders to them. And they say, So they, in their own veiled language, explain to us something about that love that they have. So wonderful, they say, Oh, you, with the lotus navel, beautiful Krishna, There's the yogis, they approach you, they're very learned, they practice yoga, meditate to attain you, and there are jnanis, bodha, they approach you also, Karmis, they perform big sacrifices to approach you. We don't have the patience of yogis, that kind of mind control. We don't have the intelligence of the jnanis. We're just village girls. We don't have the resources to perform big sacrifices. This is our position. Krishna has surrendered to them, and of course, they love him. He's their worshipable object. So, as soon as he surrenders, they let him off the hook immediately. No, no, no. They're saying, what anyway, we're just village girls. Sangsara kupam. We are in the well of sangsar. That's our position. We just want you as you are. We want to be part of your family. We want that Nanda Maharaj is our father-in-law. That the elder son of Krishna is our brother-in-law. This is what we want. These simple things. <laughs> not what the big yogis want. Not what the jnanis want or the karmis. This is what we want. Nanda Maharaj is our father-in-law. And Balarama is our brother-in-law. And always live in Braj, in the village. That's what we want. What are they saying? They're saying, who cares for yoga, gyan, karma? What aspect of Krishna you can get from this? Meager. We have no interest in that. But you can get in Braj, the extent to which you can have the absolute. That is our interest. And that is the farthest reach of Bhagavad Gita. And that has to come out in Bhagavad Gita, as Krishna, now, for the second time, some hundred years old, in his Leela, is stepping again at Kurukshetra. What is his cho- he charged to do? Speak about Dharma to Arjuna. What is his cho- he charged to do? Speak about Dharma to Arjuna. Where praying love is worshipable by God himself, and he admits it, that came out here at Kurukshetra. Can our Prince Krishna of Dwarka, not remember that, not be influenced by that. Such is the extent of the sacred nature of Kurukshetra. Dhritarashtra didn't know anything about that. That's a very secret thing. But by the grace of our Gaudiya Vaishnava charges, we get a chance to have a glimpse into that. So there's a little more to read in the commentary on this verse, but I'm going to stop here. Any questions? Yes. In a sense, yeah, I mean, you can draw it out. So in this first verse, we have 
mamaka, the whole Bhagavad Gita is about attachment, which is the whole problem of life. This is the despair. The chapter is called Yoga of Despair. So he's in despair because of attachment. So that's the whole problem, mamaka, in one word. And sanjaya, of course, means, as I said, to approach someone who's capable of ending despair, who's ended despair, who's no longer a slave to the mind and senses himself, to approach such a person. And where will you find such a person? At a holy place, at Kurukshetra, Dharma Chitra. So if we talk about these three words, then in a nutshell, we can bring out the whole essence of Bhagavad Gita in the first verse. And first chapter, again, in the sense of its being yoga of despair. And so many persons are introduced in these beginning verses who are players who are from the Mahabharata. They're introduced in the Gita, if we, if we just entered into the Mahabharata in this section of Bhagavad Gita. And um, if we study those persons, their thinking and their the characters, their characteristics and so forth, then there's so many things that are taught in Bhagavad Gita to be learned from just the study of those characters. So it's, as again, this chapter is not a chapter to skip over in yoga of despair, so that it may be possible that from despair, which is the basic condition of material life, it's a condition of despair, we can come to a, uh, a happy solution. In other words, it's just like they say about persons who have drugs, and when they really understand that you've got a problem, then it's the beginning of the solution. We are drugged, we are addicted to sense gratification. We really understand what a problem is, to what an extent of the problem is. We have to throw up our hands and say, Hare oh, Krishna, help. And help will come. The solution is at hand. Help will come. But then he would say, now do this, now do that, now do this, now do that. So if we resist the help, and then as I said, we're not Trinata Pisanichena. Good help is coming, but I'm resisting. Trinata Pisanichena means to stop resisting. Good help. You ask for help, it comes. Oh, but that's too hard. <laughs> Suffer then, remain in despair. But a good guide will help us by taking us, just pushing us just enough. We have to be prepared to be pushed a little bit. Just enough, go to the next stage. Another question? You mentioned uh, Vaidhi Bhakti Prayam. Yeah. Could you elaborate on that? There was a bhav in the prem of Vaidhi Bhakti. Sometimes the word prem is used only in relation to braj and only in relation to, sometimes only in relation to Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurja. But in a broader sense, prem's love of God, so the different kinds of love of God, besides the braj prem. And so Vaidhi Bhakti leads to a kind of love of God that is also influenced by knowledge, the knowledge that the object of one's love is God. The Braj Prem is, this is conspicuous. The absence of the knowledge that Krishna is God makes knowledge conspicuous by its absence. They don't think that Krishna is God. Their love is so intense that they think of him only as their lover or as a son or friend. Even if he shows himself to be God by doing something extraordinary like lifting over Don Hill, the cowards just put their sticks up to help him. They don't think that he can do it alone. But outside of that realm, then, the further we go out of that, Mathura, Dwaraka, Ayodhya, Vaikuntha, where different manifestations of that same Krishna are the deity and the object of love of the devotees, then as we go out further, further, stepping outside of Braj, then knowledge 
of the godhood of Krishna is a factor in that love. So Vaidhi Bhakti can be worshipper of Krishna, a Vaidhi Bhakta can be worshipper of Krishna in, in Dwarka, like all of the Jadus, Udav, we sometimes call Gyani Bhakta also. Or then more characteristic also, I should say, is uh, then Vaikuntha. So the worship is in awe and reverence, or this, anyway, I guess, a sense that the object of my love is God is a factor in the love. You see, that brings some element of calculation into the equation. And Braj Prem, Kamanuga Prem, particularly, of gopis, without any calculation. Even Sambandhanuga in Braj Prem has some calculation. Sambandhanuga means love of Krishna's parents for him, friends and servant friends. There's a reason for loving him. He's my son. A reason that's accepted in society. He's my friend. You understand? There's a slight, tiny element of calculation involved. You understand? In Gopi's love, it doesn't exist. There's no reason for it. They shouldn't be doing it. There's no sambanda. That relationship is not allowed. They're doing it anyway, going with that kind of love. This is the full limit of what Mahaprabhu came to teach. He came to teach everything, but he particularly came to experience that and say, such a thing is the highest ideal. And if you have appetite for that inside you, then in touch with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching, that will come out. And then if you will cultivate that at a certain point. Following on his question, uh, and you were mentioning, well, to hear the pastimes or not to hear them, how can one, someone who's on the path of Vadi Bhakti Pranayam, begin to develop the other type of love you're talking about, which refers to as Vagatmasha, love of the resident, residents? Well, first of all, in our group, now Sampradaya, this is a Ragamarg Sampradaya. So if we practice Vaidhi Bhakti, we are practicing Vaidhi Bhakti mixed with Raghunuga Bhakti, if we understand our Sampradaya. Because if we are attracted to this Sampradaya, therefore we join it, take our Diksha in this Sampradaya. Why? Why is it we do that? If we did it right, because we heard about it, and that's what we wanted. What is the Sampradaya about? It's about Braj Bhakti. Mahaprabhu came to give what? Dasya? Sakya, Batsalya, and Madhurya Prem of Braj. This is what he came to distribute. So if we are attracted to this Sampradaya, then because we, we thought it out, we listened, we heard, and we heard this is what it's about, so therefore we joined it. So it must be that some capacity for that kind of love is dormant in our heart. So that means Raghunuga Bhakti. So some Raga has to be involved. So we are practicing Vaidhi Bhakti mixed with Raghunuga Bhakti. And proportionate to the degree that our traction for one of those relationships is developing, maturing, and so forth, then we're moving from the Vaidhi Bhakti to mixed Vaidhi and Raghunuga to pure Raghunuga. Pure Raghunuga, the pure practice of Raghunuga requires that one cultivate Bhakti for Braj in two bodies, Seva Sadaka Rupena Siddha Rupena Chatrahi, in the Sadaka Deha, practitioner's body, and in the Siddha Deha. 
When we practice this Vaidhi Bhakti mixed with Raghunuga Bhakti under good guidance, we go through different stages. Shraddha, faith, Bhajana Kriya, Anartha Nivriti, Nishta, Ruchi, Asakti. In Asakti, we glimpse the Siddha Deha by realization. Mahaprabhu said. So this is the last stage of sadhana bhakti. So when one sadhana bhakti is properly performed, it begets what? Bhava bhakti. That siddha is a bhava deha. That spiritual body is a body made of spiritual emotions. That is dormant in the heart. So when it comes, as it comes out from ruchi, I get an attraction to attachment, that's asakti, then we glimpse that. And then enter into bhava bhakti. Then it is ongoing culture. Bhava bhakti has some relationship with prem and some relationship with sadhana. Bhava bhakti is a ray of the son of prem. So it's basically about prem. But there's a culture that continues, which is sadhana, krishnanushilanam, in bhava bhakti. The culture is ostensibly the same as in vaidhi bhakti, but it's different because there's Bhav has been awakened. So it means one will hear and chant, just like he does in, in sadhana bhakti, do this vaidhi of hearing and chanting, and so, but in a particular way, particular names of God, and particular pastimes would be attractive, and so forth. So it's a natural kind of progression. It's not that we just shift gears at a certain point and decide, well, oh, maybe we didn't know so much about it, what we were involved in, and so forth. So maybe some devotees are getting an education theoretical education about some of these things. But my answer to the question is we are all doing Raghunuga Bhakti mixed with Vaidhi Bhakti. And as Rag develops, then Vaidhi recedes. Rag means attachment. So as attachment for Krishna develops, then the impetus for serving is that Rag. It's no longer Vaidhi rules that say you should do this because this is good for you, you shouldn't do that because that's bad for you. It doesn't matter anymore. That person may even do something that's bad for others. It's possible. A pichet, sudaracharo, padite mamanam nebak, sadureva samantavya samyagdhava Theoretically, it may be possible. But he has rag. Chaitanya Charitamrita says also, there is jatarati raganuga and ajatarati raganuga. But in our line from Bhaktisiddha Saraswati Thakur, there is a strong emphasis on jatarati, raganuga. Jatarati means who has attained rati, bhav. Because so many things are going on in the name of ajatarati, raganuga. Raganuga is not an easy thing to understand. Raganuga, ragatmika. It's not easy to understand that Krishna is God. At all. These are very difficult topics. Very subtle things. How that love can look just like selfishness, as I said before. So, because so much goes on in the name of Ajatarati Raganuga, it means Raganuga without Rati. Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsati Thakur has emphasized, don't act, don't try to see God, act in such a way as that God will want to see you. Hear, chant, practice, be patient, so forth. But theoretically, then, it's possible before Rati to practice Raganuga. But as I'm also explaining, we are doing that. Mixed with Vaidhi Bhakti. What is the qualification for Raganuga? Basic qualification is that one has, one is no longer requires in order to be motivated to practice scriptural injunctions or human reasoning. Now you take away 
All human reasoning. That means when you go to a class, you hear a lot of human reasoning. Good reasoning. Why you should do this. Why you should serve Krishna. Why you should give up attachment. You no longer need to hear that anymore. You don't need that anymore. You don't need to hear, Scripture says this, Scripture says you shouldn't do that. It doesn't matter. You don't need to hear it. You don't need to abide by it. Because your bhakti is going on anyway. Because you have rag. That's Raganuga. Now, look around and see who's in that position. Otherwise, we can't talk about Raganuga Bhakti. It would be good to get an education about it. And we should aspire for that. But it's, but just, uh, it's not just about collecting information. That's why Bhakti and Sarsitak were restricted as disciples from reading certain books and so forth. Not entirely, but to some extent. My uh, reason why I was prompting the question is um, because abiding without that ideal, without that deep inspiration of what is the ultimate reality we're working towards as a, with our sadhana, then as Bhakti Siddhanta says actually in, in that in the pamphlet we published that accompanying the curriculum in 32, whatever it was, the last one of us, that the sadhana will, bhakti will become mayavad. Well, yeah, no, he says not Vaidhi Bhakti, but unless you know Artha Pravriti, yes, and you only focus on, on Artha Nivriti, then you just end up Nirvishesh. You may not have an Artha, but you don't have anything that is worth attaining. Because my point is, but my point is, yes, yes, but, but my point is that anybody who joins the Sampradaya, they should know from the very beginning. What is the goal? What's it about? Many, many, many years ago, on the sidewalk in Los Angeles, in front of Prabhupada's temple, I was a new bhakta. And one devotee said, you know, an older devotee said to me, you know, most of the people who join us, they end up going to Vaikuntha and worshipping Vishnu. They don't go to Goloka. And I started to cry. I thought, what? Of course, I found out it wasn't true. This is what our sampradaya is about. So what I'm saying is, people may join a sampradaya, they may not know what's going on or why they joined it. They just got caught up in some guru's enthusiasm, which isn't a bad thing, but it would be good if we knew what it was about, why we're involved in it, what the goal is. So that should be taught. And yes, everybody should be clear. This is the goal in general. Braj Bhakti, that's what I want. There should be some healthy hearing about that. I guess what I'm also trying to say is that just like the, the owls and, and the bowels and the bowls, and mm-hmm. so many Prakriti Sahajas, all those 13 opposite Vedas, there's also, you know, uh, Karta Bhajak, which is, and uh, what is it, uh, uh, worshipping of the group, uh, Samaj Bhaj, anyway, mm-hmm. we worship of the group, and these are also causes for deviation and we see you can be initiated by some form of sampradaya but I mean the owls and vowels also think they're in the line of Mahaprabhu and, and uh, you know Kamaduga. So I'm just saying there's there's you know Nyamagama there's two extremes on that on the That's why we give the balanced picture. <laughs> We're not on either end of the spectrum. Like if you come here tonight, you'll hear everything from Mamaka to Gopi Prem and how the Gopis are defeating Krishna. Anything else? Yes. You're taking notes. Well, I can't remember anything, so I have to write it down. 
sign of intelligence. <laughs> you were saying about how you give the example about how there's the river and the guru is holding on to the stick. Mm-hmm. He says, well, let's let go, you know. And I remember one conversation with he was saying about how some of the devotees, they get some, they're trying, you know, they're like, you know, they think somebody might take the sannyas or whatever, or, or get in a position, because they're trying to, you know, do something, you know, they're trying to let go or whatever, but then they fall down. So, like, I've cultivated my mind and my, my senses in such a way, and now I have to deal with that. I would like to just let go and just be, you know, pure devotee or whatever. But I see, well, then fall down comes, right? Because I've cultivated this. You know, and I'm not, I'm only so attached to Krishna. I can't fake something I'm not. Right. So therefore you have to go about it gradually. You have to have a good guide who can assess your psychology and the level of your spiritual understanding and interest and can, while inspiring you to pursue the highest thing, teach you how to go about that step by step so that you you actually go there. So therefore the first thing and the most important thing in your spiritual life is to find a guide who you have confidence can actually assess your situation and who has experience of the highest ideal and can assess your position in the whole scheme and advise you accordingly. So guidance is essential. So you hear from different devotees and from hearing from different devotees, then you find one devotee who inspires you that way, then you take shelter of that devotee, then he will advise you, you should be like this, you should be a monk, you should be in this situation, you should be in this way. That's what you require. You shouldn't try to figure it out yourself. You should try to figure out this. I need help. Where can I find a good guide? Don't you think that's an important part of the whole thing? That's the most important. Right. So that's what you have to focus on. Because then all your issues about what you should do and how you should approach it, that's solved by answering that one question. And your earnestness and interest in the subject should be such that it will attract good guidance to you. And if you're honest and sincere about it, you'll know when good guidance comes before you and you'll take advantage of it by hearing again and again and if you're sincere and you actually want to take the next step your heart will be conquered by a good guide and you'll be so relieved that you're in good hands without that you're like a boat without a rudder in the middle of the ocean that's the real first predicament is that you realize you're in the ocean you're drowning a lot of people don't even realize that if you do then you need help so then what do you have to do you have to yell as loud as you can, basically. It means you have to cry. You have to pray for help. You have to pray that I'm in a material world. I would like to be liberated from this condition in the context of developing love for Krishna because I'm attracted to Krishna because some of his devotees have come and attracted me, charmed me by this ideal. So you have to pray to Krishna, please send me a guide can throw me a rope and pull me out. That should be your focus. Because practice begins really after that. What is Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu? That is the whole book of devotion. You know the book. 
Bhaktivedanta Sindhu. Prabhupada wrote a summary study called Nectar Devotion. So what is the very first step in our practice? Ado Guruvashrayaha. We take shelter of a guru. That means we find a competent guru, we take shelter, we hear from that guru. We learn. And then, shiksha, diksha, taking instruction, then we take initiation, then we put all that theory into practice, and he guides us in the practice. These are the steps that are important to you. And when you find that, then... A, good, a god brother of mine, a good friend of mine, who was a sannyasi, he's left the world many years ago. He used to say, oh, the distance we have gone, we have traveled in our material sojourn to this point, finding our guru is so much longer than the distance we have to go from here. Do you understand? Even though that distance is far to Krishna Lok, it's such a short distance in comparison to our wandering head. We are now human beings. You know it? Through so many species of life you've gone. 84 lakhs of species in this material world according to the Veda. And you've been in all of them. As an amoeba, as a plant, as an aquatic, as an animal. You have human life. So far you've come. Such a long distance. You cannot imagine. And in human life... You have sadhu sangha, association with saintly persons. And if you can refine that now, that is, you best refine that sadhu sangha, to find a sadhu in that sangha who will take charge for you, who will vouch for you. He's sincere. I vouch for him. He's a das. I vouch for him. He's a das. Then the door is open and you can go. Everything becomes comparatively easy from there. <laughs> It's not, a, as they say, a cakewalk, but <laughs> it's easy from there, comparatively. Because as you, know, you are going with no guidance. Go to New York, where some goes... <laughs> New York might be easy to find, but drop off in the middle of... Have you been to New York? Probably from New York. <laughs> anyway. anyway, you go to a major metropolis you've never been, we just drop you in there and tell you to find this particular address. It's very hard. You just start asking people. Find one you think you can actually trust. Somebody finally grabs you by the hand and says, over here, this is the idea. So this is your task. And it's all, the onus is on you. Because to find a real guru, it requires that you understand what it means to be a real disciple. When you get yourself in the mentality of a real disciple, servant, do you know what it means to be a servant? Sure you do. Just sit back and think about it. If I had a servant, <laughs> if I had a servant, <laughs> you will know exactly how a servant should be. Try to cultivate that mentality. And then, a corresponding manifestation. See, that's divine. When you think, I want to serve God. That's divine. That's worshipable, those thoughts, those feelings. So they will attract a corresponding divine manifestation. We call that guru. Guru is your own self coming before you. Your own prospect coming before you. This is explained in Chaitanya Charitamrita. What does prospect mean? Prospect means uh, my hope, what I could be. I have a disciple, and once after she was with me for some time, a friend of hers wrote a letter and said, well, uh, I'm happy for you that you're there and everything, And uh, but anyway, I hope that when you look in the mirror, you can smile. So he didn't really understand what it was all about, and he was just 
So she wrote back to him. She said, actually, when I look in the mirror, I don't see much to smile about. But when I look at my guru, then I smile. What she meant, I liked it. What she meant was, when I see my guru, I see what my hope is. I could become such a devotee. I could have such love for Krishna. If I look only at myself, well, then I find this is a problem. When we before our guru, we should have feel two things. How incapable I am, and at the same time, what potential I have. Both things. My conditioning, oh my goodness, is so high, and I'm so low, but a hope comes also. I could become. Such a prospect is there for me. Such a possibility. Because you will address our conditioning and address our potential as a liberated soul also. So, relative to our own heart culture, what we want, so you will get. If you're only making a plaything out of this, then that's the kind of guru you'll get. <laughs> and there will be a farce. If you're really there, really come for the thing, a corresponding manifestation will like attracts like. So try to cultivate that. That is your task. Then you'll get good guidance, and then you can go step by step. Then you can know, well, should I do like this? Should I be a married person? Should I be a monk? Should I practice in this way and that way? So many things to consider. Am I making sense to you? Another question? All right, we talked for a long time. Forgive me for taking so much of your time. So we'll stop there, and I think then uh, we can take some prashad and discuss casually. Sri Krishna Prashad Ki Jai, Himad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai, Sisi Krishna Arjuna Ki Jai, Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, Gaur Bhaktavinda Ki Jai. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>